You know, sometimes I talk to people and they say, you know, man, I just, I can't, I just really can't enter into that place of freedom and worship because I've just got all this stuff in my life that I'm struggling with. And let me, let me help somebody this morning. Do you know, I don't not worship God because of my junk and everything that's wrong with me. I worship God because of everything that's right with him. So look at how the enemy lies to us and puts you in condemnation and gets the focus on you. And it's not even about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about him. And and so when you realize that, you can start to say these words in faith, by your spirit, I will rise. I want to sing that again right now. Just the voices, just the congregation. Here we go now. By your spirit, I will rise. From the ashes of defeat, the resurrected King is resurrecting me. In your name I will come alive, yes. Fear your victory. Sing it. The resurrected King, play it, is resurrecting me. Come on, sing it like you mean it. can this morning. So glad to see each and every one of you. Welcome to Victory. My name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor here at Victory Church. If you're a first-time guest, we are thrilled to have you with us today. We are totally convinced that we are privileged to be on team with so many great churches in Marion and West Memphis, a lot of which you could have chosen to go and worship with this morning, and we're blessed that you've come to be with us today. So please, make yourselves at home. Thrilled that you're here. Hope you'll come back and worship with us again. We're starting a, new, a brand new series today called This Is Us. Now, before I jump into that, I just want to give you a quick report. Uh, the steel has gone up on all sides of the building this week, so if you drive by, um, the, the structure will actually all be in within the next week, and then within the next three weeks, you should see a building sitting out there, at least the shell of it, and they'll start the build-out of the inside uh, process. So it's going to be an amazing thing to see that happen. So drive by and take a look and throw your hand up and say, God bless it. Every time we have an OAC meeting, an owner, architect, contractor meeting, they report to me that they've gone 67 days without an accident. And I think they're up to like 80-something now. And so we're, we're thankful for their safety. Pray for them. Wonderful people building this for us. And every time I turn around, I have another meeting, and they go, you know what? This is so good here that we've saved this money. And I said, you just keep those testimonies coming. I, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, I want to give credit this morning to the bulletin for our new series, This Is Us. We found out that Aaron Miller, our, uh, one of our lead singers here, uh, who happens to be vacationing this week, she's out on the road, 
Um, also has an eye for Photoshop and some graphic creativity, and so Erin did a great job with this. Uh, be sure and tell her thank you when you see her. This is all about really what the body of Christ is about. It's helping folk find their gifting and get plugged in an area where they can uh, bless others and give of themselves because when we are generous, the Bible says that God will be generous with us. Uh, if he who refreshes others himself will his soul be refreshed is what the proverb says. So today, our first in the new series called This Is Us uh, begins with 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to use this scripture as the springboard through the whole series. This is a summer series, it's a shared series. You'll be hearing from our pastoral staff and from a couple of other folks in the congregation that we're excited about God developing some speaking gifts and some opportunities in them as well. But the title of the message this morning is called All in the Family. Everybody say, All in the Family. And I'm not thinking about uh, Archie and Edith in that sense, but really just thinking about the covenant family, the spiritual family of God. Um, I am a fan of this show, This Is Us. Uh, it, has, it has been coming on on Tuesday nights, I think at 9. I don't always get to see it at that time, so I DVR it because of scheduling and different things being involved in a lot of different things at times. And then sometimes I'll binge watch two or three of them in order to catch up. But there are two seasons now that it has appeared, and it really touched me after 20 years of just drowning in reality TV uh, that the, we finally have gotten a whole new crop of writers that can really write good drama and good TV and some good actors. And if you've never seen it, I recommend it to you. And you know what? It's not everybody's cup of tea. If you don't like it, that's fine. I won't be offended. It's not a big deal. Uh, but the thing that struck me about this show is a family of, of triplets, a, a, a mom and dad that are expecting uh, three babies. And in the delivery, one of the triplets dies. And at the very same moment that... Uh, um, Mandy, I forget her last name, the, the Mandy Moore, uh, is delivering the baby, the three babies, and the one of the triplets dies. They've got their home all set up, four triplets, and three of everything's already been bought. And so they're totally crushed. And uh, Milo Shakarapova, or Vince Siglia, or however you say his last name, is the Jack. He's the dad, yeah, but I'm thinking of his real name. Um, anyway, they're just crushed because they've lost one of their triplets. They're expecting to go home with three. And at the very same time, an African-American baby has been left at a fire station and the fireman has delivered it to the hospital. And the doctor makes arrangements for this baby to actually become part of this family so they would still take home three babies. And they love all these three children and just shower this family with everything that they can, raising children in the, the late 1970s and the early 80s and the struggles that they're facing with a blended family. Uh, the thing that's really struck me about this show was that they keep moving back and forth from flashbacks from their childhood to their current state of where they are now and making connections to help you see kind of why they are the way they are, who they are as people. And the beautiful thing about this is in the middle of all of their struggles, uh, they, they deal with issues like alcoholism and drug addiction and obesity, and narcissism. One of the, one of the triplets uh, is a wannabe model and very strikingly handsome, and then his sister is morbidly obese. And just dealing with those extreme spectrum swings of the pendulum in the family, and then you've got two white kids and a, an African-American brother, and just the struggle of trying to make him feel totally part of the family and how the other kids feel because they kind of went overboard in that direction. 
The beautiful thing of this is that in the middle of all of their humanness and their brokenness and their insecurities and their rejection and their struggles and their addiction is that they all love each other incredibly. And they struggle and they fight. There's no violence in that sense. But they, they get after it sometimes in each other's faces, just like real families do. And if you'll just tell the truth, just like you do in your home, when, when, when you're at odds with one another and you're just trying to get through and trying to find peace and, and, and trying to take the family in the right direction. Parents who love their children and are trying to raise champions uh, so that you know that you've got a couple of kids or however many you have in your house that you can release into the world and that they will love God and they will be successful They'll learn to put their trust in the Lord no matter the difficulties they face. They'll learn how to be humble in, in the face of great triumph and they trust God in the face of great tragedy. And the beautiful thing about this is this family does this and they love each other so much through all of those problems. And I'm sitting here watching this show and I thought, and I'm starting to think about the covenant family of God. I'm starting to think about Abraham and Hagar and Ishmael and Sarah and the jealousy between Hagar and Sarah and the jealousy between Ishmael and Isaac and then when Isaac is born and then he marries Rebekah and then they have two twin boys Esau and Jacob and the competition between them and the deception that takes place about a birthright and, and, and then you just continue to go on in this story and you see all kinds of brokenness that's demonstrated in the covenant family in the family of the people of God we have a tendency sometimes growing up with a Sunday school mentality to look at these Bible heroes as just sort of like demigods, a little bit under God, and we, we think of them almost as perfect human beings. And what we fail to realize is they, they struggle with very real temptation and sin, just like you and I do. In every regard, in every way, everything that is known to man, they wrestled with. Things that are unspeakable in polite company are found in the Bible. Incestuous relationships between a drunken Lot and his two daughters. All kinds of things that are going on in this whole amazing, interesting, crazy scenario of these people that God loves in spite of their brokenness and blesses in spite of all of their mess. And so I'm thinking, man, this is us. This is the people of God. This is the fact that we've been redeemed not because we were so high and holy and better than anybody else, but because God just chose to set His love on us. This is us. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, everybody. If we can begin from the point to recognize that nobody in this room is perfect, and if you've come this morning as a guest visiting, looking for a perfect church, let me just head you off at the pass. There's not one, and when you join it, it won't be perfect anymore. I am not a perfect pastor I'm thankful that I'm not what I used to be. I'm in process and I'm not what I'm yet going to be. But I'm so grateful that I've got a God who loves me in the middle of all of it. 1 Corinthians chapter. Everybody welcome to all in the family. Look at your neighbor and say, he said everybody. So there ain't nobody in here hidden broken in some area. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the first verse says it. It's not on the screen, it's just one line. It says, remember our history, friends, and be warned. It blows my mind, the people who just discount the importance of history because when we ignore it, we are doomed and destined to repeat the same mistakes of our ancestors. <clears throat> Verses 11 and 12, just listen as I read. 
These are all warning markers, danger. In our history books, written down, read with me the emboldened words. Here we go. So that we don't repeat their mistakes. Our positions in the story are parallel. They're at the beginning, we at the end. And read it, we are just as capable of messing it up as they were. Just let's, for the sake of the hearing impaired, Let's read it one more time, Here, real out loud, come on. We are just as capable of messing it up as they were. Now this is the message translation of 1 Corinthians 10, which the King James says, all of these things are written unto us as in samples, kind of an old English word for examples, so that we might be warned, okay? Don't think so highly of yourself. He says here in the message, don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Say the last three words with me. Cultivate God confidence. What I want you to recognize this morning as we launch this new series that will be with us through the summer. We'll interrupt it with a youth conference. We'll interrupt it with VBS, Vacation Bible School. But we're very excited to just be able to get down and talk to you on very practical terms about struggles that you face in your family, that I face in mine, that I have faced, and that I've seen God bring deliverance from, that I'm currently facing. You know, the sooner we can just get real. As a matter of fact, if you've ever gone through a 12-step program, the first step to getting healed or getting whole or getting victory over a problem is breaking denial. It's honestly owning up to what you're dealing with and calling it what it is and saying, labeling it and saying, you know what, this is where I am, but I don't have to stay this way. Are you following me this morning? The Bible records the faith journeys of many of our spiritual ancestors who made choices that produced outcomes that are written down to teach us. Everybody say, teach us. We can march blindly into our future or we can pause and learn from the mistakes of those who have gone before us. God, let us be teachable. Somebody say amen. One thing I want to bring, and I want you to read this out loud with me. Here we go. Made in the image of God, the universal family of man is broken in sin, but God's love and power are greater than our brokenness. Jesus came to give us abundant life and to transform our hopeless mess into his message of hope for the world. Get it again, one last time. Just really read it like you mean it. Here we go. Made in the image of God, the universal family of man is broken in sin, but God's love and power are greater than our brokenness. Jesus came to give us abundant life and to transform our hopeless mess into his message of hope for the world. Hear that this morning. God has called each and every one of us out of a place of comfortability, into a place of risk. Somebody said one time, how do you spell faith? And I said, R-I-S-K. If you're going to walk in faith, you're going to have to throw your leg over the side of the boat and walk when Jesus says, come to me, Peter. All right? Made in the image of God, the universal family of man is broken in sin, but God's love and power. We've preached weeks on higher love. God's expression of his nature on the inside of us and love, joy, peace. We preached weeks on God's power, higher power, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the greater one moving and working on the inside of us. And so all of our brokenness and our messed up jackness, everybody, everybody in the room is struggling with something. 
His love and His power are greater than whatever you're facing. If you believe that, say amen. amen. Pray with me this morning. Amazing God, mighty God, gracious God, thank you for your love and your power that you've poured out to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Thank you that he was in all points tempted just like we are. The Bible says, yet without sin. Thank you for his perfect life and his sinless sacrifice. Thank you for his victory over sin and the curse and death. Thank you, Lord, that we are now saved by the power of an endless life. He lives to make intercession for us. Let us stop and get a fresh perspective and look with new eyes. Thank you, Lord, that even as we've been redeemed, you've called us by a new name, a new identity, a new nature on the inside of us. Let us remember who we are now in Christ and not dwell on who we used to be before we met him. Give us grace today to embrace and understand. Give us wisdom to apply it. We'll be careful to give you the praise. We desperately need you. We thank you that you're here to guide us and guard us and bless us and challenge us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Point number one, quickly, this is our family tree. My older sister, my only sister, is the oldest in our family and is... Um, almost strangely interested in genealogy. She has traced our family roots back on both my mom and dad's side past the Revolutionary War. And interestingly enough, there's a whole line of preachers that are in that, in that genealogy. And um, it's, it's, it's kind of good to know where you're from. Matter of fact, I've, I'm, I haven't done it yet, but I've been toying with just this idea of either Ancestry.com or 23andMe or one of those of, you know, ordering the little sample and spitting in it and mailing it off and letting them tell me what part of the world that I'm from, just to see the percentage from here and from there, because I guarantee you I'm a mutt. I know that. <laughs> I had a brother who visited church here a few Sundays ago, and he said, don't let anybody, you ain't fooling nobody, you got some black in you somewhere. I said, yeah, brother, and I'm proud of it too. I want you to know that. <laughs> there's, there's, some, there's some soul is what he was saying. you got some soul down on the inside of you. And I, I'm thankful for all of my heritage. I'm thankful for all of the, the, the family that has gone before me and the prayers that have been prayed for me. But this is the family tree this morning. This is our family tree. One verse, Matthew 1, 1 from the message. The family tree of Jesus Christ, read the next four words, David's son, Abraham's son. Isn't that interesting? Um. When Matthew was writing the genealogy of Jesus, he did it for the express purpose of showing that this Jesus of Nazareth was Yeshua HaMashiach. He was Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christos, Jesus the Christ, the one that everyone was looking for, that those in the law, the Psalms, and the prophets had directed to the future and said that there is one coming. Even all the way back in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned and God walked in the garden in the cool of the day in Genesis 3.15 and he gives what's known as the protoevangel. It's the very first time that we see the idea of God coming to redeem us, that the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent and the, the serpent will bruise his heel. In other words, there's one who's coming who will put his heel, heel down on the head of the enemy, this snake who lied to Adam and Eve. And so we see that all of those promises are wrapped up and fulfilled in one identity. And it is uniquely in the name of the God-man, Jesus Christ. 
But when we talk about the lineage, it's important that, that he is connected to these um, kind of a historical theological word, the patriarchs. Patri meaning father, arche meaning chief. So the chief fathers, the patriarchs of the faith are listed here, Abraham and David. David first because we're going back up through the line up to Abraham. David is Israel's greatest king. Abraham is, we are taught, is the friend of God. Hebrews 11 says he is the father of faith. The Bible says Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him as righteousness. So Abraham got saved by grace through faith just like you and I do. He believed God, just like I tell you to believe the Lord. Put your trust in Him, not in your own understanding, and God will make your paths straight. Abraham believed God. He, he released faith. He trusted in God. And God said, you know what? That counts as righteousness. He was saved. He had been declared justified. Okay. So when we trace this lineage of genealogy through the patriarchs, I have a scripture that is important. Romans 15, verses 8 and 9a. Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. King James says, to the patriarchs. Okay, He also came to, so that the Gentiles might give glory to God for their mercies to them. And so we've got God dealing with a covenant nation that is supposed to be priestly to the, all of the other nations of the world. And Christ has come and Paul says that all of the promises that were given to the patriarchs now are fulfilled in one man, Jesus Christ. Now the unique thing about Abraham and David are is the promises God made to them. We're going to look today in Genesis 12 and we'll see that the uniqueness of the promises God made to Abraham were land-based. It was about real estate. It was about owning a piece of the earth. He's going to tell Abraham, as far as your eye can see, I'm going to give this to you and to your descendants. Three times God appears to Abraham and he describes how he, who's a man who is 75 at this moment in history, doesn't have a child yet. His wife is 65, both of them way beyond the stage of childbearing. And God says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. <laughs> You must be outside your mind, God. And God says, no, Abraham, I, uh, Abram, his name hadn't been changed yet. He says, no, Abram, I'm outside your mind. This is bigger than you can even ask or imagine. And so God will come to you and challenge you and put a vision in front of you and, and stretch you to think, to recognize. Let me just say this. If your vision is not so big that you can't do it by yourself, then your vision's not big enough. It's going to take a God-sized vision for you to do what God's called you to do. Somebody, come on. Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. God promised David the throne. He promised Abraham the land. The land is the earth and the throne is the right to rule it. When you take those old covenant promises to those specific men and their lineage and you bring it through the filter of the New Testament, Paul says in Romans chapter 4 that Abraham was to be heir of the world. Not just a little piece of dirt on the Mediterranean basin in the Middle East called Israel. All, so much is tied up today politically and the arguments over all that stuff that's going on over there. And really God's focus is not just on that little bitty spot or plot over there. God's heart is for the world. For God so loved Israel 
No, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through Him might be what? Everybody say it, saved. So God has a world-sized vision. And there's only one that all these promises are fulfilled in, one identity, one, identity, one God-man. His name is Jesus. He is the only one that can rightfully stand in the place and say, I am the seed of Abraham, the earth is mine. I am the seed of David, the right to rule it, the throne, the scepter of righteousness, to declare the word of the Lord and for that law to be to make nations to obey that word. Only one person has that right and authority. The book of Ezekiel says there is one whose right it is and that one's name is Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. As I show you this morning, as we look to Genesis 12, there is a completely opposite way that we think so many times about how we come to God. Matter of fact, we say it backwards. When we, when we say we've had an, a spiritual encounter, we say, I got... I, 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 I got saved because, you know, I, I found God. And, and, you know, really the truth is God's not the one that was lost. We're the ones that are lost and God comes seeking us. As a matter of fact, as soon as Adam and Eve sinned in the garden in Genesis 3, God came walking and calling unto them, Adam, where are you? Now, how many of you know it wasn't because God didn't know where they were because they were hiding in the bushes, trying to cover up because they knew they were naked now. And not to chase that rabbit too far, but God always pursues. God always makes the first move. God is always preeminent. God is always primary. He, he's number one. He moves first. And there are people in this room this morning, you think God's forgotten you, but don't you think for a second, God will never forget you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's not given up on you. That's for somebody in this room right now. Point number two, God in the chase. Genesis eleven thirty one. We're getting one verse from Genesis eleven, and then we're moving into Genesis twelve, where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. Genesis eleven thirty one. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, Haran's son. That's Abram's brother, and Sarah, his daughter in law, which is his son Abram's wife, and set out with them from Ur of the Chaldees for the land of Canaan. Ur of the Chaldees is in modern-day Iraq. Now, I don't want to be offensive, but I do want to make a point. Abraham was not a Jew. Abraham was an Iraqi. Abraham was not worshiping the covenant God. He was a moon worshiper. He was bowing down to the celestial stars, the celestial bodies in the heavens, and God interrupted his life. God came tapping on his shoulder. God pursued him. God appeared to him. He wasn't asking God to appear to him. He was just doing life as usual. God had already started moving in his daddy's heart because Terah got up to leave where he was living to move to a new place. Some of you are here maybe this morning for the very first time at Victory. And you know that isn't just because you decided last night to come visit. God's been moving and working on your heart for some time. He, 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 he knows your number. He knows your social security number. He knows where you live. He knows what you're struggling with. He knows your temptations. He knows your heart. He knows the personal desires that you're wrestling with. God is intricately and intimately aware of your life and your circumstances, and He cares. He is a good God, and He is a great God, and He cares about you this morning. 
The scripture says, but when they got as far as Haran, they settled down there. Look at those words. Say them with me. They settled down there. Sometimes a whole family can catch a vision to accomplish something great, maybe build a business or just just raise kids to be champions for God. And sometimes along the way, circumstances happen and distractions come, and we find it easy to just sort of settle down in our comfortable patterns of living. Or maybe we're moving to a new location and we just sort of stop off along the way and we like it in this spot. So instead of actually finishing our journey to our completed destination, we've sort of settled for, well, this is okay. It's not as as wonderful as what we hope to have over there, but this has become home. How many of you know settling is not the life of faith God has called you to? God has not called you to settle for less than what Jesus came to die for you to have in terms of abundant life. God doesn't want you to settle for anything that's under the curse, anything that's in a pattern of sin, anything that makes you less than what he's called you to become. Come on, somebody, help me a little bit. Maybe you're thinking this morning. It's probably what's happening. But don't settle. Look at your neighbor and say, don't settle. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. God told Abraham, look at this. Leave your country, your family, your father's home for a land that I will show you. Let me, let, me, let me just help you a little bit. Sometimes there has to be a separation between you and other folks that have settled around you in their lives. Sometimes God will call you to get up and say, you know what? They might be happy where they are, but I've put something that's deeper on the inside of you and you're going to have to separate yourself. You're going to have to leave your country and your family and your father's house because I'm taking you to a place that you don't even imagine how great it's going to be yet. Pastor, what are you talking about? Are you telling me that I'm going to have to leave my, my family and my home? No, 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 no. I, 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 don't, I think there's a spiritual understanding here, an application of this. It's not always even necessarily a geographical move, but you're going to have to get up out of your comfort zone and you're going to have to shake off the the rut that you've been down in and the bed that you've made and been in for 38 years and rise and take up your bed and walk and move towards something that's going to be a risk, something that you're going to have to step out in and maybe embrace some change and embrace maybe even some pain. I've been there. there. I'm right there right now. Going, God, I I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to take the next step. God, this house is so quiet. God, where I'm trying to find the Lord and find myself in a fresh way right now in terms of the next phase in my life. While I'm thrilled and excited seeing this building go up out here, man, I'm before God and crying out to the Lord and saying, God, remake me. God, remold me. Give me a, a fresh sense of purpose because everything that I thought I would be doing at this point in my life has all changed. It's all, all dramatic and I can't settle. I can't stay in one spot and just let the, let the comfortability just sort of just surround me and just draw me into the easy chair of life. I want to stay on the edge and keep the faith sharp and keep the vision strong and be strong and courageous in the things of God. Somebody say amen. Sometimes you have to separate because you can't stay where you are and become who you're called to become. You can't stay in the same place doing the same thing. It has become cliche. I know it's worn out, but the great Albert Einstein quote, you can't keep doing the same things over and over and expect different results. That's insanity. Nothing changes if nothing changes. Everybody say that. Come on, tell your neighbor. Nothing changes if nothing changes. You have to get up out of your comfort zone. 
You have to get up out of what you thought things were going to be like because something's changed. Circumstances have happened. Uh, uh, you, you lost a job. A business failed. A spouse passed. He says, separate yourself. Get up and leave. Come on out of your comfort zone. He says, because verse 2 and 3, I'll make you a great nation and I will bless you. This dude is 75 years old, no children. But yet God says, I'm going to prosper what you put your hand to and I'm going to multiply you into a whole nation of people. God, you're crazy. No, just hide and watch. I'm going to do it, he says. He says, I'll make you famous and you'll be a blessing. God will provide for you so you'll not just have enough to make your ends meet, but you'll be able to bless others. He'll make you, he'll bless you, and you will be a blessing. Come on, somebody. I'll bless those who bless you, and those who curse you, I'll curse. Guess what? He'll even take care of all those naysayers and all the haters. You don't have to, he'll take care of them. God says everybody who blesses you, they're going to get a blessing because they blessed you, because I've blessed you, and you're my covenant son. And if they open your mouth crosswise and they open their mouth and say curse things about you, then I'm going to curse them. How many of you know when you got God on your side, you don't have to worry about what anybody else thinks? Amen. Come on, somebody. He says all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. That only comes through the one Jesus Christ. All the families of the earth are blessed through Abraham because of his seed, his heavenly seed, Jesus Christ. Verses 4 through 6. So Abraham left... Say that with me. Abraham left just as God said. And look what happened. And Lot left with him. You know what? You're always going to have somebody tag along. Sometimes not always for the best. And Abraham has a good old heart. He's not Abraham yet. He's still Abram. God hasn't changed his name yet. That comes later. And Lot, you know, is just going along for the ride. The Bible doesn't say God appeared to Lot. It said God appeared to Abraham. And Abraham is trusting God. He's getting out of his comfort zone. He's stepping out in faith. He's starting this new business venture. He's going to trust God for a family. He's 75. Sarah is 65, way past the stage of childbearing. And God says, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Okay, we'll see. And the story begins. He left just as God said. Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Abram took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot with him along with all the possessions and people they had gotten in Haran and set out for the land of Canaan and arrived safe and sound. Abram passed through the country as far as Shechem and the Oak of Moray. At that time, the Canaanites occupied the land. God appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your children. Look what Abraham did. Abram built an altar at the place God had appeared to him. If you do anything great for God, it's going to require sacrifice. You're going to have to arrive at a place of personal devotion to God that you will give your time and your talent and your treasure to the point that it becomes painful. You sacrifice for the vision that God has given you. You sacrifice for a family that you want to raise as champions. You sacrifice for a dream in your heart. I started this thing 30 years ago, and about the time we celebrate our 30th anniversary, this thing will be up out of the ground. It has taken time. It has taken keep moving forward. It has taken a realization that I can't do it all in one moment, but I've got to keep trusting God and build faith into a people and keep standing even when I don't feel like standing. Keep standing when I don't think I have have the ability to stand. 
Because I want to tell you something. You can sit down and write down your vision, and somebody, a, a, a motivational speaker said it this way, that's 50% of accomplishing it. Well, guess what? A whole lot of people get 50% of it done and never go any further. Because between vision and destiny, there's one critical word that you have to do. It is action. you got to get up and take action. you got to get up and separate yourself from who you used to be. I love this. He moved on from there to the hill country east of Bethel and he pitched his tent between Bethel to the west and Ai to the east. He built an altar there and he prayed to God. You go through seasons and you just sort of start to kind of get in coast and then God will show up again and you'll have a fresh season of sacrifice and devotion. And you'll pick up and you stay there for a while and until you're sort of saturated with that thing and God says, okay, I'm going to let everybody catch up with you, grow the family, we're going to move on. I'm going to press you again into another season of, of faith and stepping out and getting out of your comfort zone. And there were seasons, chapters in Abraham's life that God would move like this. And look at verse 9. Say the first three words with me. Abram kept what? He kept moving. you got to keep moving. Don't confuse your identity with your location. Don't confuse who you are with where you are. Because where you are, if you start looking at it with any real degree of substance and permanency, permanence is the word. Let me stand up here and make up a new word. Finality, permanence then you limit yourself in a place that God doesn't intend for you to ever stay in. Think about this. The prodigal found himself after wasting his father's inheritance on riotous living, on on prostitutes and drunkenness and, and, and all of these worldly just things throwing the inheritance away and he finds himself in the pig pen eating the empty husks that the pig was eating. And it was not until he came to himself and he remembered who he was And he said, I must arise and go to my father's house because even a servant in his house eats better than I'm eating right here. I will go to him and say, Father, forgive me for I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. He he got to a place where he no longer confused his location with his identity. Come on, somebody. Who you are and where you are are two entirely different things. You may be poe as Job's turkey right now, but the Bible says God has given you the ability to get wealth and he's prospered you to what you put your hand to. You may, be, you may be refereeing a wild team of donkeys in your house, but God says you're going to raise an army of champions in your house. Come on, somebody. Are y'all hearing the faith that I'm trying to inject on the inside of you this morning? Abram kept moving, steadily making his way south. I love this part. Man, I could preach this part for another 30 minutes. But the crazy thing is, is that this part doesn't last. Things happen. Circumstances occur. We we get bad reports. The doctor tells us there's no hope medically. The banker says, I'm sorry, we can't give you the loan. You're insolvent. You're going bankrupt. Your wife looks at you and says, I don't love you anymore. Your husband tells you, you know what? I, I can't do this anymore and files for divorce. Life happens and we, we deal with this stuff as it occurs and I want you to see this is what takes place. Fear can make you do crazy things. Verse 10 through 13, then a famine, everybody say famine, then a famine came to the land. Abram went down to Egypt to live. It was a hard famine. Everybody say a hard famine. That means there ain't nothing to eat, folks. So Abram and Sarai go down to Egypt to live 
And as he, as he drew near to Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, look, we both know that you're a beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they're going to say, aha, this is, that's his wife, and kill me. But they'll let you live. Do me a favor and tell them you're my sister. Because of you, they'll welcome me and let me live. <laughs> First service, I got this parade of thoughts going through my mind, and I'm remembering lines from coming from America, and the brother says, mm-hmm, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. <laughs> Sarah was stunningly beautiful. Now, there must have been something in the water because she was 65 years old. And by the way, just let me say all the older ladies in this church, y'all are drinking that same stuff too. Y'all are beautiful. I caught this this service better than I did last time. I was backpedaling in the last service. But I just want you sisters to know that I believe in whatever your beauty regimen is. Y'all are Y'all are beautiful. Number two message is the one going on the internet, okay? <laughs> Somebody says, when you're in hot water, just take a bath. <laughs> you're beautiful. Please tell them you're my sister, which is, you know, really kind of a half-truth. Now, this is, let me just stop and say this. There are things that are written about in the Bible historically that depict acceptable practices of a radically different culture than ours. Abram and Sarai actually were half brothers and sisters. And we can't even imagine that in our culture. First of all, we've had scientific backing that shows us that you don't mix DNA that closely in the family because you can have real significant problems with the offspring. But whatever, God favored it, God blessed it, they made it through. But he says, you're so beautiful, don't tell them you're my wife, tell them you're my sister because Abraham is scared. He's afraid when Abraham arrived in Egypt, the Egyptians took, took one look. Everybody say, just one look. That's all it took. Yeah, just one look. That's it right there. Took one look. Where's Nita? She's been up all night. I told her I'm going to keep her awake today. Nita, you awake? Where is she? Nita wrote her. I mean, Nita Stone. Took one look and saw that his wife was stunningly beautiful. Pharaoh's princes raved over her to Pharaoh. She was taken to live with Pharaoh. Because of her, Abram got along very well. He accumulated sheep and cattle and male and female donkeys and men and women servants and camels. And man, Abraham's bottom line is just really growing big time. He's becoming more and more rich because after all, he's the brother of that good-looking woman that Pharaoh has favored, brought into his harem, but has not consummated a relationship yet. But look at this. The Bible says, but God. Everybody say, but God. But God hit Pharaoh hard because of Abram's wife, Sarai. Everybody in the palace got seriously sick. People, this is the father of our faith. He's a liar. Look at this. Look at this. Do not use what I'm preaching as an excuse to stay in your sin, but recognize that God blessed him in spite of his fear and the actions that he took that were wrong. When I come in and worship God, I don't not worship him because of what's wrong in my life. I worship God because of everything that is right about him. And when I get my focus off of me and onto him, he starts to change me. Because of her, Abraham got along well. Verse 18, Pharaoh called to Abraham, what's this you've done to me? Why didn't you tell me that she's your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I'd take her as my wife? Here's your wife back. Take her and get out. 
Pharaoh ordered his men to get Abram out of the country. They sent him and his wife with everything he owned on their way. He lost his testimony as being a faithful witness to the God that it appeared to him because he lied. But yet God said, okay, you believe in me, I'm going to forgive you, and I'm going to bless you anyway. How many of you know this morning that you're blessed not because you earned it, because you're blessed because God loves you in spite of your brokenness? Look at your neighbor and say, this is us. Come on, say, everybody in here. Fear, fear will make you do crazy things. This, this has been utilized by motivational speakers the world over. I've heard it on Christian TV all over the place. But there was a church in Memphis, Tennessee that was in depth in teaching. And there was an English teacher who was retired. And she did all of these acrostics. And, and I learned this from her. She taught that fear is false evidence appearing real. When you get afraid, when you get scared, when you're terrified, when you become dismayed, immobilized to the point that you can't move because you're so afraid, you will start believing things that are not even reality. I mean, it's one thing to have a healthy caution for something that is dangerous. It's like the, the songwriter said, I don't like spiders and snakes. And yeah, let me tell you, that, that's number one in my life. I don't like either one of those. But I'm not so afraid that I can't grab a shovel or a hoe and do what it needs to be done in the name of Jesus. Because as far as I'm concerned, the only good snake is a dead snake, glory to God. Hallelujah. Whack. Ooh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Glory to God. <laughs> that snake isn't going to hurt you, no, but he'll make me hurt myself. <laughs> Man, false evidence appearing real. Something grabbed a hold of my precious wife's mind in the three years before we lost her. She was battling a mental illness that included paranoia. And she started believing things that were not even anywhere near reality. And I, I tried every day to convince her, this is not real. This, this is not real. We've got to get some help. You have to get some help. And you know, you've heard me say this. She was getting talk therapy. She was, she was on medication. We were praying. We were doing everything that we knew how to do short of getting her committed. And my heart now is, God, I wish I'd done that. I wish, I wish, I wish that I had done that. I just never saw it happening what, the way it happened. Never, never in a million years. If you told me that was going to happen, I'd say, no, you're crazy. Don would never do that. But something happened. A, a fear got so at large that it became what the Bible calls a stronghold. And she was convinced that she could see it and nobody else could. And I just want to tell you from my own personal experience that fear will kill you. Fear will limit you. Fear will keep you from doing the great things that God has called you to do. Fear will keep you from reaching out to the person that may be the love of your life that you're too scared to ask out for the first date. Fear will keep you from attempting great things because you think you're going to fail. Fear will limit you in every way that you can imagine because it's a faith killer. There's some version of fear not, whether it's be not afraid or don't be afraid or don't be fearful or don't be frightened, appears in the Bible 365 times, oddly enough, one for every day of the year. Look at your neighbor and say, fear not. 
2 Timothy 1.7 says, we've not been given a spirit of fear. But we've been, we've been given a spirit of faith, of power and love and a sound mind. Aren't you grateful for that this morning? Now, sometimes I have to remind myself of that because the location I'm in creates fear. Since I've been in the house by myself, there was a season before I had a, a, a guy come out and, and do, did some pruning on my trees. The crepe myrtle was growing a little too close to the gutter on the back of the house and my head's on the other side of it and it's a dark, stormy night. What is it? Edgar Allan Poe begins, it was a dark, stormy night. And, and you can know, it starts scratching and I'm up and I've got the gun. <laughs> and I'm walking around the house. And it's probably a good thing that Odie and Copper were in pens in the kennel and couldn't get out because I might have shot one of them. Because <laughs> fear had gripped me. Don't even laugh at me in that tone of voice. You know what? You, you've been there too. Come on, everybody, you've been scared. We've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And what I want you to see is that when we live in that and don't seek God to deliver us from it, last point this morning, we create the culture that is around us. Because this crazy story that you see that Abraham did to Pharaoh in the end chapter, right after he's met God and he's on his journey and he's moved and he's progressing and he's growing and God's blessing him and great prosperity is coming his way, he has this little fear that gets in his heart and he says, don't tell him you're my wife, tell him you're my sister because they'll kill me. And you know what? He lines up and does it again in Genesis 20 with a whole different king of a different nation, King Abimelech. Abraham does the same thing again. Why do we keep repeating the same mistakes over and over? The dog that goes back to his vomit, the pig that's washed clean and is not satisfied till he's comfortable in the mud hole again. Why? Why do we do that? We do that because we don't let God deal with the root. We don't let him get down into this thing and, and the pain that I have to go through just to re-identify and recognize one more time who I am in this moment and not confuse where I am in my loneliness. And the crazy thing is that I've gotten a fresh perspective on aloneness. Isn't it amazing how the, the, the positive side of it, the glory of solitude, is that's, that's the positive side of aloneness. But then the negative side is loneliness. And so I've had to stop and go, God, I thank you for your glory to show up in my loneliness in this house, in this quiet house. I'm not going to sit here in self-pity. I'm not going to feel sorry for myself. But I thank you for the gift of solitude. Same thing. It's just a different way of looking at it. And I start seeing with fresh eyes and I start growing in strength and thankful for a couple of friends that are just there encouraging me. One, one brother said this week, man, I got you back. I'm with you. This is your story, not mine. And I said, man, I hear you there. Thankful for people that can walk alongside us and, and encourage us. But really when it comes down to it, it, it there's, there's something that you have to yourself personally say, God, I'm going to dig in and I'm not going to quit until I see you move in this place in my life. Whether you're the prodigal in the pig pen, whether you're Elijah the prophet by a brook that's dried up, don't confuse your location with your identity. Man, I'm preaching so good this morning. Somebody, I'm, I'm wrapping it up. I'm on the way down right now. We're, we're already descending Come on, get your seat back trays up. Buckle your seat belts because we're about to land this plane. We create the culture around us, the things we do and repeat over and over and over again. 
Look what Isaac does later on in life. He's married to Rebekah, this gorgeous woman that Eleazar, the servant of Abraham, goes to a distant country and brings her back because she's part of their tribe, part of their family lineage. He loves Rebekah. They get married. And there's another famine that hits in Genesis 26. And they go before this king. The Bible says in verse 7, just one verse, the men of the place questioned him. Now, this is Isaac about his wife. He said, look what he says. Read it. She's my sister. He was afraid to say, read it. She's my wife. He was thinking what? Look at it. These men might kill me to get who? Rebecca. This is not Sarah and Abraham. This is Abraham's son repeating the same mistake that Abraham did. This is, this is a son who not only has had the, the benefit of a, of a father who has met God and who knows God and who's a great man of faith, but he's grown up in the same house where there's been some fear that's been mixed in with that faith. And, and Isaac sees that and he gets in the same boat. And instead of leaning into the Lord in a time when he could get fearful, he relied on what he had seen. Come on, parents, listen to me. I want to tell you this this morning right now. Come on, dads especially. You are called to be leaders in your house. Just because your grandfather was an alcoholic and your dad was an alcoholic doesn't mean you have to be one too. It can stop with your generation. Jesus will deliver you from it. Yeah, but it's in my DNA. Guess what? God can change stuff. He can give you strength to be able to turn and be transformed by his love and his power that is greater than your brokenness. Anybody hearing me this morning? Listen, we reproduce. We don't make and multiply into our children what we say. They're going to become what they see. Who they see us acting as. Let's be men of faith and trust in God. My, my children, after Dawn passed. We had some really amazing heart-to-heart times and both of them were sitting down and just the family, just the three of us and, and both Abby and Drew said, you know, Dad, you know, I, he's, Drew said, I have friends who are, their dads are pastors and some of them hate God. Some don't even want anything to do with church. He said, I'm so thankful that you didn't put on a religious face at home but you were real. And when you missed it, and Abby spoke up and she took over at that point and she said, you know, Dad, you weren't perfect, but you know there's something that you were good at? You were always willing to say, I'm sorry I was wrong. And I repented to my children. And I would go, we can do better than this. Forgive me. I, I'm going to trust God to do better than this. And let's pray right now. And we would always pray even when they were little children. If I'd gotten angry and maybe just was over the edge, never violent with my children, anything like that, but, man, I could get violent with my tongue. And I would, just, I would just have to say, children, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I, and, and Abby said, you know what, Dad? That's made me know more than anything that God is real because you were real for us. Now, I'm not here. To, this is not a pat on my back. But I'm just saying this to dads and moms in your home. Be real. Don't, don't put on a Sunday, go to church, Sunday school, look on your face, and act holier than everybody else because you're struggling inside just like everybody else is. Look your neighbor and say, everybody. This is us. We're broken we need help. We need Jesus. I don't want to multiply in the next generation what I've failed and refused to deal with in my own life. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise.
Musicians, come on back. I'm, I'm over. I'm sorry. I'm a few minutes over. Let's, let's wrap this up. Let's pray together this morning. Heads bowed, eyes closed.